1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 4. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food they think of it as as having been sacrificed to an idol and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, who have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brother in this way, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Amen? Let's pray. Father, fill us with a fresh understanding of Your Word this morning. Your Word has been written to build up Your people and to declare Your glory. May You, through Your Holy Spirit, work through my words. May You, through Your Holy Spirit, work in the hearts and minds of all those gathered here. May You transform us, Lord. Help us to hunger and thirst after You. Help us to be built up. And help us to be changed. Help us to know your love for us in a deeper way this morning. And please help my words to be faithful to yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a confession to make before you all. One of the most difficult things in my life, and I know many of you out there probably struggle with this very same thing, is to be considerate of others. To be considerate of others. I'll give you an example where it works out. It's, it's a constant struggle for me. Because I don't want to be considerate of others. I'd much rather be the opposite of considerate, which is inconsiderate. I'm on the highway, I'm on the Google Expressway. And a car starts pulling up on my left. I don't know this person. I've never met this person in my life. And you know how the Schuylkill, you're going really fast, the cars are close together? Well, I pull up dangerously close to the person behind me just so that person that I don't know can't get in. 
What is that? Why do I behave like that? That's just an example of how my natural self, my tendency is to, to be inconsiderate. What should I do? Uh, and I'll tell you something. The Philly drivers are actually much nicer than New York drivers. Because I'm amazed how often people are considerate of me and I can pull in front of them. New York, you never get that. But here, I, my, my natural self, I'm inconsiderate of this person. I'm willing to put the person in front of me's life at danger. My own life and even sometimes the life of my family and the person who's trying to cut in. Why? Because I don't want them to get in front of me. It's crazy. And yet it happens over and over. And that's not the only area. You're at the store. And, and someone... You, you know, you're, you're afraid that someone's going to... You're standing far back in the line. It's a long line. You're afraid that someone might think that the line starts ahead of you. You know what I'm talking about? And so you're willing to push up against... Almost uncomfortably so against the person in front of you. Because you don't want this person to cut in front of you in the line. All you have to do to see how... And I, I don't think this problem is unique to me. I mean, some of you might be more sanctified out there than I am. Um, but I don't think this problem is unique, unique to me. I would rather have my way all the time. I want it my way. You better get out of my way because I'm coming. You better not inconvenience me. That's our attitude a lot of the time. That's the American way. It's the bad side of the American way. I want my way, and you better watch out, because I'm going for my way. People can be cons- I want people to be considerate, but I want them to be considerate of me. I don't want them to be... But I, I don't want to be considerate of anyone. Well, when we come to the church, that's how we are in our natural selves. And I'm, I'm willing to hear that there are some strange people out there who are out in the world and are actually considerate of other people. Um, I run, we run across them from time to time, but they're abnormal. We scratch our heads and wonder, what's wrong with them? Um, well, we come with that, that. We're saved by grace, by the gospel. We come into the church, and we're now redeemed people. And what happens? Many, many times, I don't think when, when you become a member of a church or, or profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I don't think many churches prepare you for what you're in for. It's complete overhaul. God is going to turn your world upside down. The way your attitudes are, it's going to transform you. And I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't like to hear that daily. Um, but that's what, what the scriptures call us to. And that's what Paul calls us to here, is to stop being inconsiderate and now be consider my brother or my sister. To go out of my way to be considerate of them. To look for opportunity. See, we, you know, we, sometimes we're, we're greeting people in the back of the church and we, we kind of like keep people at a distance. You know what I'm talking about? You, you only want to go so far. It's real difficult. It's real difficult to go much further beyond keeping people at a distance. Because you're safe. But to really be considerate in the way that Paul is talking about here, 
to go above and beyond just being civil like we're told in our society. Be civil to one another. We're not talking about being considerate in order to be civil. We're talking about deep love of your brother or, or sister in Christ. Why? Why would we be considerate of our brother and sister in Christ? Why? Why would you do this? This is crazy in the eyes of the world. To go above and beyond and look for ways in which you can be considerate to your brother or sister in Christ? Why? Be considerate of your brother because of this. Remember this. We'll come back to it. Because Christ died for him. Because Christ died for her. Be considerate. Well, three things we want to consider today. Consider your brothers or sisters. You know, when, when I say brother, I'm saying brother because that's the language Paul uses in this passage. But we can easily say sister. So consider your brother or your sister's conscience. Consider their conscience. Secondly, consider their weakness. And then lastly, again, we're going to look at, consider that Christ died for that, your brother or sister. Christ died for that person. So first, consider your brother's conscience. And the passage, and we're, we're going to do a little background here. In the passage today, there's an issue with Christians eating food sacrificed to idols. Okay, and I want you to stick with me here, because you can hear that and suddenly say, oh, never even gone near that with a 10 foot pole um, but some of our Asian I mean it's not that far off these days that we're going to be struggling with that As the more immigrants move into our neighborhoods the more Asian groups there are they struggle with that if you're an Asian Christian you will struggle with that if you're in India that's a relevant question all the time do you eat food sacrificed to idols? So, in some parts of the church, this is a burning issue. And for the church of Corinth, this is a burning issue. This is a burning issue. Um, and there are, here in the ancient world, there were three types of situations in which food would be sacrificed, where you encounter food being sacrificed to idols. You would go to a local temple, and they'd have a restaurant almost. And you go and banquet in the presence of the idol, in the presence of this, this God, God. And so that was one situation where you, you would, and you had to do that sometimes because it, it would raise your status up economically or politically. That was the pressure the Christians would feel. Second situation is you're, you know, you're going to the Italian market and, and you suddenly you're just buying meat from one of the meat, meat places there and you don't know where it came from. I mean, you really don't know where it came from there, do you? Well, a Christian would go to the local market, the Greek market. Sometimes there were Jewish markets, but they go to little, if they were a Christian Greek, they would go to the Greek market to buy their meat. And sometimes some of that meat, they wouldn't know it, but some of that meat would have been sacrificed to idols. So that's the second situation. And the third situation is that you would be invited over one of, one of your uh, Greek friend's house who wasn't a Christian, and they'd serve you meat. And you might think... I don't know if this has been sacrificed to an idol or not. Should I eat it or should I not eat it? And Paul will address those three different situations throughout the next couple of chapters. Um, And actually, 
just so you know, because he kind of toys with the possibility of going in, into a temple and banqueting with, with the, uh, the idol and all the idol worshippers. Um, later in chapter 10, he will, he will say, no, that's wrong. But here he's approaching it indirectly. You know, he's not, he's, he wants them to be aware of the principle before he gets to the specific. So he wants them, before they make a, you know, a rule, he wants them to understand the principles behind the rules. Um, okay, so that's the situation. And the knowledge here... Um, earlier in verses 4 through 5 remember we talked about two weeks ago we talked about two things first the knowledge that that these Christians have is that the idols are nothing they have no real power and the second thing is that there's only one God he has the real power so that's the knowledge and Paul starts this passage in verse 7 but not everyone knows that Well, if you're a Christian, you know that there's one God, that Lord Jesus is His Son, and that you're saved by believing on Him. Amen? But not everyone knows that an idol is nothing. You imagine these um, Greeks coming out of their old life, and they're struggling with the fact that to them who for years and years gone to the temple, these idols are real. Um... Experienced this in India. It's just a great struggle for Christians over there um, who come out of Hindu backgrounds. They, when they go to the idol, there's a power exchange between them and the idol. They look into the eyes of the idol, and you know if you've seen some of the eyes of the, these idols, they look really weird. But you look in and you exchange, you get power from that idol, and it's addictive. It's addictive. So here. Someone is still struggling with the fact that, yeah, they, they've heard that idols are nothing. They know there's one God, but they don't really know it yet. You, you know what I'm saying? They still, in their hearts and in their act, it bothers their conscience. And the one thing we have to realize is that you may be in a certain place in your Christian walk with the Lord. Each one of you, if you're a Christian, are struggling with... How do I serve the Lord more faithfully? Amen? That's a good struggle. But we're struggling with that. And not every one of you are in the same places with that. You're at different points. You have different things you know. Some of you are here. Some of you are there. That's what he's saying here. And so, for some of you, it won't bother your conscience to do this thing. Whatever that thing might be. But for others of you, it compromises your commitment to Christ. And because in your heart and in your conscience, there's that doubt. You know what I'm talking about? You're not sure. You've seen this Christian do it, but you're not sure you yourself should do it. Because there's that doubt. If you go ahead with it, if you think that it possibly compromises your relationship with God, it is sin. That's what he says in Romans uh, chapter 14.23. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Chew on that one for a while. I'm still chewing on that one. Whatever does not come from faith is sin? You want a good guideline? What does it mean to live under the Lordship of Christ? To live in faith. 
in everything. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be at the same spot all the time. But it does mean that the question I need to ask is, as this, this thing, is, is, this, is this coming from faith? Is my conscience clear before the Lord, or is it not? You know, we're talking about things that aren't clearly revealed in the Scriptures. You know, committing adultery, for instance. Well, is this thing from faith? or No, that's not from faith. There there are other things um, that, for instance, let's let's look at this a little bit here. Um, Say there's someone who has come out of a drug past. Um, and um, he's or she has for years struggled with drugs and so there's the old life there's the life they used to live and they've come out of that past and, and they go walking down the street and they know that if they go down certain blocks they know what happens if they know they meet up with certain people they know what happens they'll end up with a fall again and again. So to protect themselves, they said to the Lord, Lord, if I even go down the street, I'm sinning before you because I know what will happen. So they've guarded themselves against walking down that street. Now, for, for someone who hasn't struggled in that way, you can walk... I shouldn't say... We shouldn't make a rule, well, that, you know, over 5th, 5th Street down there, over by where I live, and there's, there's some drugs. None but Nobody in the church should go down 5th Street. We can't make a rule like that. It would be ridiculous to make a rule like that. I can walk down the street. But this brother or sister who, who struggled for years with that area has said, I can't even go near it. And so when we're walking through that area, I have to be sensitive. I have to consider my brother's conscience. Amen? Because, you know, I might be going to that area and I might hear him say, most of us are oblivious. I might hear him or her say, look, look, can we go somewhere else? Just walk around. But, but this is the quickest way to get the point B. No, just, just, just please, can we go? And I say, no, this is the quickest way. I'm not listening to his conscience. Because for him, he is being disturbed in his heart. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And I have to consider my brother's conscience when I do things with my brother. Amen? I have to be mindful. And to do this, look at, look at what, he, what he says here again in verse 7. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to, the idol, to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. His conscience is defiled. His conscience isn't confident in faith. He has doubts. So I shouldn't, um, I should consider that when I act and, and love Him. Um, Paul here points out, verse 8, But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse off. We are no worse if we do not eat, no better, and no better if we do. So food, the food is indifferent. It doesn't matter. Where I walk around the city, that doesn't really matter. But for him whose conscience is sensitive to certain areas, it matters. Amen? So I have to consider, I have to go above and beyond and consider my brother's conscience. Secondly, consider your brother's weakness. 
Consider your brother's weakness. You know how this works when, imagine a situation where there's um, a, a mother and she has her, her son or her daughter and they have a bunch of friends over and it's dessert time and snack time. She puts out a, a whole plate of cookies and she wants to be smart. She just put out two each per kid and then say, then you can only eat two. But what does she do? She just puts it all out and, and says, okay, each one of you can only have two cookies. Well, you know, she leaves the room and quickly they gobble up the two cookies. And then what happens? They start looking around at each other to see, okay, which one is going to break the ice and take that third cookie and disobey? And the minute someone reaches over and grabs a third cookie, a bunch of other little hands will grab the cookies. But someone has to initiate that. Someone has to cause the other kids in the room. And then occasionally there's this conscience-stricken kid, it was never me, by the way, who who, would just sit there, I'm not going to do it, and usually that kid would get in trouble as well. Maybe you were that kid. Um, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to disobey my mommy or my friend's mommy. But... Our actions can lead, this is profound, our actions can cause another person to sin. We have to be aware of our brothers' and sisters' weaknesses. We've got to know there's, there's soft spots. We've got to know that. Why? Because your actions, if you're insensitive, if you're not considering your brother's weakness, you can cause them to stumble. That is a tremendous responsibility, isn't it? You've got to be sensitive and not cause them to stumble. Verse 9 here. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Christ has given us freedom. You know, we don't have a hundred thousand rules to follow. Some churches, you go to other churches, sometimes they have a hundred thousand rules to follow. But that's legalism. We don't want a hundred... That's not manageable. It's very simple. One rule to follow. One rule to follow, and that's the rule of love. Love. Now, when I hear love, people have all sorts of different ideas about what love is. So I need to know, in my natural self, what is love? What is true love? And the Bible helps that with the Ten Commandments. And incidentally, you know, most of you, if not all of you, know the Ten Ten Commandments. Don't do this, don't do that, thou shalt not. They're in the negative. Why? Because we don't know how to love. I might think love is, is um, you know, I want to love myself or, or love my family by, by stealing some money from the bank. That's not love. But I need to know, thou shalt not steal. You know, someone might say, well, I've got all these feelings and, and my relationship with, with my husband isn't as romantic as it once was, so I'm going to go out and commit adultery. That's love. And that very, many times our culture says that's love. That's not love. Thou shalt not commit adultery. So it's simple. It's, it's love. Start with the principle and work your way out from that. Work your way out from that. So Christ gives us a lot of freedom, doesn't He? Doesn't he? He freed us from the Mosaic law. We don't have to. We don't have hundreds of 
and thousands of rules to keep anymore. We don't have to keep the, the, the dietary laws. This food is clean. That food is unclean. All food is clean, they said in the New Testament. But here... Um, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block for the weak. Consider your brother's weakness. Paul wants us to not abuse our freedom. Amen? I know, I didn't get a rousing amen from that. Paul wants us not to... You know, honestly, I don't like the idea of that. I like to abuse my freedom. I like to wave it. Look what I can do. I wave it in people's faces. Look what I can do. Oh, you weak Christian. You think that's wrong? No, I can... I, I have freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. That's not considering my brother or sister's weakness. Um, and he evidently there's a maybe either some Christians in Corinth were contemplating eating in the temple um, at these restaurants or or um, perhaps they they were had already done it and Paul says in verse 10 here if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's te- temple won't he be emboldened to eat what was sacrificed to idols? Won't he be, if he sees you doing it, won't he be encouraged then to sin? His conscience is disturbed. Won't he be encouraged to sin? Um, I thought of this recently as uh, there was a pastor uh, who I was meeting with and he told me that he was, um, had, had tremendous struggles with pornography to the point where he could not... He, he said, I, 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 I don't have internet access on my computer. And when someone, when I go on the internet, because he has to check email, he has to be on there for certain things, I make sure someone else is there in the room. Why? Because every time he's gone on the internet, or most times he's gone on the internet, he's been led to pornographic sites. It's a fall over and over and over. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking and, you know, part of me is sympathizing with him and saying, yeah, that's, that's really, you know, I'm, I'm glad you've gotten to that point that you know you're so weak there that you can't even use the internet by yourself. But there was another voice inside me that was saying, what's wrong with you, brother? Well, you can't you can't soup yourself up spiritually, and 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 what's wrong with the internet? What's your problem? I mean, that's that's some of the internal conversation going on within me. It's horrible, but it's I'm, I'm being honest. That was what was going on within me. But imagine if I had said that to him, what would have that have done to him? It would have crushed him. Or it might have, well, I guess if, I, if I'm spiritual enough, I should be able to cruise the internet without any possibility of going to these pornographic sites. And then what would he have done? He, he leaves a meeting with me and he goes out, surfs the internet, and, and then later on his marriage is in trouble, his family's in trouble. Um, it could mean his, his downfall. Consider your other brother's weakness. And again, this requires that we know each other pretty well. Doesn't it? Amen? We, we care about each other. We're involved in each other's lives. We're asking questions. We're, we're loving, not, not because you want to get up in their business. Right? You, you, 
Some of us want to ask questions and get people in people's business. And that's not what we're talking about. This is love. Search your own conscience and act. Don't act unless you're doing it out of love. And if you find yourself you're wanting to be a gossip, then pray about it. Submit it to the Lord. And the passage here, if you if you you can encourage your brother or your sister to sin. Look at this in verse 11. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And you get this picture of this arrogant Christian walking around, abusing his freedom, sticking his freedom in everybody's faces, and crushing those who have a certain weakness. Consider your brother's weakness. Consider your brother's conscience. Amen? Consider your brother's weakness. And then, um, third here, consider that Christ died for your brother or your sister. Consider that Christ died for your brother or your sister. This, 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 I think, yesterday began to revolutionize my outlook on the way I look at my brothers and sisters. Consider that your, that you are so precious that Christ died for you. And I have to view you just not as, okay, you know, it's my job to be pastor and all you guys are out there and, and you know, you come in and, and, and you guys are fellow church members like you're a member of a social club. It's not like that at all. Consider that Christ died for you. Do you see how it should change your outlook on on the way you view each other? If I consider that Christ died for for you, if Christ was if God Himself was willing to come down, take on flesh, and give Himself up on a tree, die a criminal's death for the sake of you. If if God was willing to do that, how should I be willing to respond? I should go above and beyond. I should be willing to restrict my freedom, as he says in verse 13. Look what he says. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. It's perfectly okay for Paul to eat meat. It's perfectly okay. But if it causes my brother or my sister to sin, I won't go near it ever again. Why? Out of love for them. Because I consider them. I consider them. I consider that Christ died for them. That's weird from a natural standpoint, isn't it? That I'm gonna, that's not the American way, which is always my rights, my rights, my rights. But here's Paul saying, you've got to be willing to restrict your rights. You've got to be willing to give up your freedom. Yes, it's okay if you do that. But if it causes your brother to sin, you've got to be willing to restrict your freedom. Because God came in the flesh to die for that sister or that brother. It's radical. It's a radical thing. Verse 12. You're not just sinning against your brother. You're sinning against Christ. If you abuse your freedom before a brother or a sister, you're not just sinning against them, which we've already established, but you're sinning against God Himself. 
So you might be your right. But if it causes, if it ignores your brother's conscience, if it ignores their weakness, and you go ahead with it, and you know both of these things, if, it, if you're ignoring that Christ died for them, you're you're being inconsiderate. Considerate and inconsiderate are kind of weak words, aren't they? You're not loving them the way you should. It's a much more powerful word. You're not loving them the way you should. View your brothers and your sisters as one for whom Christ has died. How many of you do this? On a daily basis, when you gather for one another group, when you walk in here, do you view your brother and your sister from that perspective? That Christ, that God Himself gave... See, Christ, Christ was considerate. He went to the nth degree. He went above and beyond the call of duty. What was the call of duty? Well, these human beings, they, I created them good. They ran off. They went in search of their own ways. They fell. They are alienated from me. They sinned. They rebelled. They continue to rebel. What was His duty? If we can put it that way. God punishes them. What's the most amazing thing that he did? He sent himself to take on the punishment that we deserved. Amen? So that, that no matter what your sin is, it can die its death in the cross of Jesus Christ. So when I look at my brothers and sisters, what do I do? I give them the utmost consideration because God looked down and gave us the utmost consideration and saved us and loved us and reconciled us, brought us back to Him when we were paying Him no mind. When we were ignoring Him, when the Bible says that we were enemies of Him, that's when He intervened in my life, in our lives. When we wanted nothing to do with him. When, look at the life of Paul. Paul is going around killing Christians, throwing them in prison. Christ intervenes in his life and says, Paul, I, I have a task for you. Paul was the number one enemy of the church at that time. That's how powerful the gospel is. You're sitting there thinking, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a good church person. I'm not a good um, person or... Um, you know, look at all the things I've done. Look at what I'm burdened by currently. The wonderful message of the gospel says that you can have God intervene in your life to rescue you out of that. Amen? And transform your life. Because God considered you. So, because God considered you, won't you consider your brothers and your sisters? Um, it, but this will take practice, won't it? I don't. I hate considering others. I'm so selfish. I'm sure many of you are selfish too. Um, but here, it, it's kind of like if you're if you're sitting down, cross-legged, or sitting in an awkward position, and your leg falls asleep. You know how painful that can be. You get pins and needles, and then you get up and you start walking around. And it takes a while to to get the pins and needles out. It's kind of like that. In our natural selves, we've been sitting down too much and he's being entrenched in our inconsiderate ways, ignoring our brothers and sisters, not caring about them. And, and Paul in this passage is saying, come and be considerate of your brothers and sisters. That's going to take practice. Amen? But that's what God did for us. And that's what we need to do. Empowered by Him. Look, relying on His strength. 
Uh, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others what? better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Praise God for verses like that. Amen? Because that does not come naturally to me. I do everything out of selfish ambition in my natural self. So God did this for you. God considered you. God rescued you out of your um, sin. Consider then your brother's conscience. Consider then your brother's weakness. Consider then that God has died on the cross for your brother and your sister in Christ. So I want you to take a second here. I want you to repeat this after me. I will consider... Well, actually, look at the person next to you. And say, I will consider my brother or sister. Okay. I will consider my brother or my sister. Why? Say this. Because Christ died for you. That came more naturally, didn't it? Um, I would be, you know, it would be kind of weird if I, um, I... I think our church tends to be more easygoing and loving than many other churches. But still, I mean, do you feel comfortable choosing at random and saying to this person, whoever it is, that person's face, that I love you and mean it. For many of us, it would be awkward, wouldn't it? That? (laughs) No. (laughs) And there are people beyond, who know how to love beyond what I know how to love. Um, And I thank God that we have them here in this church. Amen? Who show me what it means to love. Who show me the love of God. But here, we should be willing to, to say, I consider you all the way across the room so much because Christ died for you that I love you. I love you. And not have that sense of, uh, I'm a little awkward and uneasy. This church is in a little different place than many churches. And praise God, but... How many churches would be able to to do that? And the thing we need to do, then, is get to the point where not only we're considering our brothers and sisters, but we can meet strangers on the street. People, neighbors who come to us for help and say, and love them, and truly love them with the love of God. Amen? Because then, if we're able to do that, then we have the, the love of been impacted truly by the love of God for us. So be considerate of your brother, be considerate of your sister, because Christ died for him. Let's pray. Father, help us, O Lord, to to be considerate of those around us, to love those around us with your love. You have loved us. You have considered our, our situation. Help us to, to know each other to the point where we know where our weaknesses are, where our consciences are troubled, and know and keep in mind that you have given yourself up for uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ.
empower us to do this this week through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.